You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa. We help you create a boatload of content in just 60 minutes. Check it out. So the terms lead gen and demand gen get thrown around a lot. And I think sometimes it's easy to mix one up with the other. At least I know for me, before I became really familiar with the terms, I might have used them interchangeably sometimes, or at least been a little bit confused about how are they different exactly? How are they related? And what are these terms referring to anyway? So we're going to have a discussion today to just parcel this out and especially to try to understand which should kind of come first. If you're a B2B marketer, which should you be prioritizing? And there are a lot of different opinions on this. So I have with me today, Deanna Shimoda. She's CEO of Growth Mode Marketing. Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeremy. It's so great to be here. Yeah. So let's just start with these two terms and kind of get your definition of them. I think the definitions are fairly clear, but I just want to make sure at the outset that we know exactly what we're talking about. So how do you understand lead gen vis-a-vis demand gen? Yeah. So some of us think the definitions are very clear, but I think a lot of people think lead generation and demand generation are actually the same thing Mm. because I hear a lot of people talk about lead generation, but call it demand generation. And so to start with lead generation, your marketing programs are only focused on the 5% of companies that are currently in market and you're asking a prospect for a meeting trying to pull them into your sales process. And what I mean by that is those are typically going to be the programs where you're really focused on demand capture and how do we uncover those prospects who are in market to buy today, which in a typical year is 5% or less of companies in your total addressable market. So there's another 95% out there that aren't actually in market right now. And a easy way to understand like what lead generation looks like. One example would be you go and you create this great research report that supports what your company offers. And you put it out there, you run digital ads, you put a form in front of that report. People come, they fill out the form, they download it. You get what you call marketing leads, right? Then you have an SDR or a BDR team that will follow up with those leads and try to set sales appointments. That is like one example of lead generation because you're trying to uncover people that are in market. The problem with lead generation is that it's ignoring the other 95% who are not in market to buy right now. And it assumes just because you filled out a form that you're in market to buy, which is oftentimes not actually the case when they're downloading content. So demand generation on the flip side is you're not focusing on driving value just with the 5% or less that are currently in market, but you're considering those other 95% who are not looking to buy right now. So you're building marketing programs to create demand in the market Basically, how do I build brand awareness, credibility, and trust so that ultimately the demand is there to capture it? And so prospects on the flip side 
are learning about you. They're gaining trust with you. They might even have an affinity for your product before they're in market so that when they're ready to make a purchase decision, they ask you for a meeting and they invite you into their buying process. Okay. Got it. And so based on the way you're putting it, and I know that there are certainly many others who who share this opinion, that it's really demand gen where the focus should be for most, in most cases, right, for marketing teams, as opposed to lead gen, which, and the main critique, which I think you articulated really nicely is that the marketing qualified leads, as they're called, are just often pretty weak leads. That if you're in sales, right. you end up getting all these folks who are like super hard to sell to because they're not actually in the market. They just wanted to take a peek at your ebook or whatever was behind, you know, that was behind right. the gate, right? Right. And the reality is like, just because someone reads your report doesn't mean they're in market to buy. It means they're interested in the content that you're putting out there. And, and that's certainly a good thing. But to send those leads over to sales and have them start to chase them, it's very frustrating for the sales team because they're not feeling like the leads coming from marketing are very high quality they're seeing like they're wasting a lot of time spinning their wheels trying to convert those people into real opportunities that ultimately buy from them. But in reality, if I'm a prospect and I read your research report and now your sales is asking me for a meeting, if I'm not already coming to the table with the intention to buy, it's highly unlikely in the B2B space, if you're selling something that has a high price tag on it, that you're going to convince them now is the time to buy, right? And so when organizations take a step back and they look at their marketing qualified leads that are being passed over to sales, you really have to evaluate how are they performing and how many of them actually turn into revenue. And yeah. typically, like with lead generation, the numbers aren't great when you step back and look at it versus demand generation. You're going to have shorter sales cycles. You're going to have higher close one rates and overall lower customer acquisition costs. And the reason is because those leads actually have buying intent. They're telling you, I am ready to start talking to a sales rep. Which means, you know, if you go by Gartner Research, they might be up to 80% through their purchase decision process by the time they come to you and say, yeah. I'm ready to have a conversation, right? So it's kind of a no-brainer when you step back and look at it from a lead quality standpoint. Like five really good leads that have actual buying intent are going to go so much farther than 500 leads where there's no buying intent right there. But a lot of companies still spend a lot of time and money and resources chasing after those leads that aren't actually in market. Right. And I, so it's easy to conclude, like, nobody wants that. That's clearly a waste of people's time, right? A waste of time and money. So demand gen is kind of where it's at. But I want to press on that term just a little bit and kind of get your take. Mm -hmm. Because just on its face... It, it sounds like the idea is, well, we're going to generate demand. In other words, drum up, <laughs> drum up people saying, I demand, I must get your product. You know what I mean? But yep. I don't think it exactly means that, right? Because the whole, what you said about, you know, the buyer journey that they go 80%. 
In other words, they're going to buy when they're ready to buy, right? right Without yeah. talking to a salesperson. And it used to be, right, that the power lie in sales. And if prospects wanted any information, they kind of had to talk to sales, right? Yes. And, and now it's really flipped. And it's more like, nope, we're going to do all our research on our own timeline. And we, which would suggest like you can't generate them wanting well, I guess that's a question, right? Can you speed up yeah. that timeline? And if so, how much? Because on the one hand, like the entire premise, a little bit of content marketing is like, well, you sort of can, but ulti- But on the other hand, it's like, well, but not really. Like ultimately, people are not going to make a big ticket purchase, especially until they're really ready. And then they'll kind of let you right. know, right? So is it that you're generating demand or is it more like, when that 5% is in market, you're top of mind because all along their process, you've been there helping them and yep. answering questions and so on. I, I think that is a great question, Jeremy, because years ago when the term demand generation first came out, I was like, that's ridiculous. You can't de- generate demand for your product. It's either there or it isn't. And then, you know, I've evolved as a marketer. I've seen how buyers and their behaviors are changing and the way that they're engaging with marketing content that's out there. And I've changed my mind about it. It's like, okay, you're not necessarily generating demand in the sense that I didn't have a need and now suddenly I have a need out there. But you are generating demand for your products and services because you're building this digital footprint out to be your best sales rep and putting this content out there that quite frankly, they're not gonna buy from you if they don't know you exist, right? So at that point, there's no demand. And there's lots of marketers out there that will talk about the difference between like demand creation and demand capture and and how they have to link together. But from a demand creation standpoint, it's really about understanding, okay, you're not going to convince them to buy today if they're not ready. Can you speed up their decision process? I, I think you could argue both ways on that, right? Like that's the ultimate goal with marketing is how do we speed along that decision? And I think the way to do that or to look at demand generation programs and building out your digital footprint to be your best sales rep is to really take a step back and think about, okay, how do I build brand awareness? How do I build credibility and trust? And ultimately an audience of my ideal customer profile that wants to consume my content and continues to consume my content. And I I personally think one of the ways to do that, especially if you're in a really crowded market where everybody sounds the same, is to have a unique point of view where all of your marketing is framed up specifically for that ideal customer profile. So instead of trying to be everything to everyone, you've got very focused marketing messaging Not everyone's going to agree with it, but some people will. And that's how you start to create that demand is when you shift the thinking or you're saying things that not everyone else is saying to them that they're like, you know what, what you, I like the take they have in the market. Mm. I'm going to keep reading their content, listening to it, watching it. 
and follow along that eventually your ideas become their ideas, right? It's their thinking and it's how they think. And now they're like, well, I need a vendor who thinks like me. And so at a high level, I think when we talk about creating demand in the market, that's really what it's about is how do you say something that resonates with the right people, but is different enough from what everyone else says that not everyone will buy into it or agree with it. And you create that audience that already has an affinity for your brand or your product before they're even in market. So you become a no brainer option when they decide I've got budget, I've been wanting to solve this problem for a while. I know exactly who I'm going to call. Right. You know, and it sounds almost like demand gen is not really the right term. It's sort of a catch all. What it really means is awareness generation, then kind of affinity generation and then trust generation, right. As part of a kind of a fluid process. And we use demand as a kind of catch all. But as you just said, like, you're not gonna, for that small percentage that's in market, especially if you're like selling a CRM or something that where there's just a million Mm -hmm. options, right? Like good luck because even when they're in market, how are you going to be the one they choose? And, you know, here's a thought and I want to get your, your reaction to it. And this goes back to what we were saying about like, to what extent can you maybe speed up a sales cycle. So here's one maybe hypothetical and tell me if you think this is realistic. So let's say that I'm given the task, like let's say I work in marketing and or in sales, right? And my boss is like, all right, Sheer, we need a new CRM. The one we're using sucks. I'm sure everyone thinks that, right? Find the best one and we'll take your recommendation and run with it. And so I'm like, okay, But then the second I start researching it, I'm like, oh my God, there's literally 300 (laughs) options in front of me. I Googled it and I'm like, whoa. And even within, like when I tried to niche down, there's still a solid 25 options that all on their face seem to be saying the same basic kind of stuff. I don't want to screw this up. And this is not a cheap purchase. If I make a recommendation and it's not the right one or, or... it doesn't work. I'm going to, that's going to reflect badly on me. Maybe I lose my job. Right. So I'm thinking maybe that's part of what's making it a longer sales cycle. That it's just like, you don't even know where to begin parsing out all these options. Right. And so if you're not an, if you don't happen to be like a total expert or haven't spent like years studying the CRM market, you're kind of at a loss and you're asking around like, what do you guys use? What do you guys use? Mm -hmm. And all this can take a long time. And you kind of have every incentive to maybe not make a decision (laughs) because you're like, I don't want to make the wrong decision. And so if you're really good at content marketing, like if you're aware of this, putting yourself in the place of that kind of buyer and you have content that, and, and I'm sure it's out there, you know, but the kind of content that speaks directly to it is like, look, are you confused about what CRM to use? We're right there with you. We totally get, you know, that kind of thing. I could see how with just the right sequence of content or like the right tone, you could theoretically speed that up by removing some of those obstacles and earning that trust that it's like, you're not going to lose your job if you choose us. Here's why. 
Yeah. Here's our process for helping you decide. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I think you picked a perfect category to demonstrate like why you need a unique point of view in the market and why you have to be able to basically build that virtual relationship before they're in market to buy. Because quite frankly, when you go into a very, very crowded market like CRMs, It feels like a sea of sameness. Each vendor feels like, here's our differentiators. We do this, we do this. We have superior customer service, better than everybody. Like they're saying these things that as a buyer, it's overwhelming because you're sitting there and you're looking at the options and you're like, they say they're different, but at the end of the day, they're not drastically different. So how do I choose? Do I go with the market leader? Because everybody knows who Salesforce is and they're huge and there must be a reason everyone purchases from them. Or do I pick a different one out there and try to find somebody who's using it, right? Like when you think about it from the buyer perspective and understand like the options are overwhelming, You start to understand why they do so much research and dig in and and they don't want to have conversations with 10, 15 different companies and be in their sales process, right? They want to narrow it down and they want to be able to just reach out to one or two and get the pricing, see the demo, make the decision and move forward and feel confident in the decision. And I think when you're thinking about the unique point of view, like, Personally, for my organization, Growth Mode Marketing, when we do the unique point of view framework with our clients to help them figure out how to go after an ideal customer profile and how to really target their content, one of the things we focus on are like, what are the pain points specific to that ideal customer profile? So... For example, we recently helped a client that is selling payroll services. Payroll services are not sexy. There's nearly 6,000 payroll companies just in the United States. There's plenty of options out there, right? And there's, at the end of the day, it was like, there's nothing unique about what you are offering and doing, right? But how do you stand out? How do you go up market? How do you build your business on that? And ultimately where we landed, it was like, okay, we're going to target companies that are in travel and tourism, have seasonal workforces, and often hire employees that are on a J-1 visa because there are unique characteristics and challenges around regulatory compliance and taxing and things like that for those employees. And there was nobody else out there that was specializing in that. So if you really like put that into perspective, your marketing now, like what we did, we talked about the pain points. What are the things that are painful specifically? Like if you have J1 visa employees, which are like international students that are coming to work at the water park or Disney World for the summer or six months, right? There are things that are unique to that. So if you can find those angles and work them from a marketing standpoint, I think that's where you can start to stand out when your product or your service maybe doesn't have like true and meaningful differentiation, which is actually pretty common, I find. Right. Especially in a kind of more mature market, like a CRM or payroll Mm -hmm. services that's been around for a while. 
And it's like, you can tweak around the edges a little bit, but it's not going to be enough to make people be like, whoa, this yeah. is clearly super different. And, and, and if I'm hearing you right, it's like, okay, if that's your situation, then really it's niching down and not just like, okay, now we're focusing on this group, but mm -hmm. really digging in and being like, not just what are their pain points, but what are their most granular pain points? Because anyone exactly. can probably look at it on the surface and be like, oh, okay, well, I, they have these basic pain points. But it's like, well, if that's obvious, then it's probably not enough. That's You need to spend time with those people, most likely, or however else you can learn and get beyond the surface yep. down to the nittiest gritty. And they might even be things that the people you're talking to aren't 100% aware of or aren't used to having to articulate. So you really have to dig it out in a way that right. you can then turn it around and say back to them in a way that makes them go like, oh yeah, that, that does totally solve that, that horrible problem we're constantly dealing with. And only you, right. by dint of your hard legwork leg and digging, ideally, have like totally nailed that. Right. And I think half the battle when you're doing marketing messaging out to prospects is to show them like, we truly understand your pain. You know, and if you go back to the CRM example, okay, yeah, everyone can say, hey, it's a hassle to keep track of all your sales leads. Yep. Uh, you know, that's kind of a given at this point. Everybody understands why you need a CRM. But if you go to specific industries and the prospects that they work with, there's probably nuances in there that can help you really pinpoint that pain. And I think it's about helping that buyer see like, I get it. I understand the pains that are specific to you, not everybody in general, but to you, Mr. Manufacturing Company or healthcare system, whatever your ideal customer profile is, and painting that and then being able to tie that back to how we can help you. So it's like one, we know what your pains are. Two, we get it. It's challenging. And three, here's how we help eliminate even the most minute pains because all of those things add up over time to like that frustration, right? And sometimes they just live with it. But if you can paint the, this is a pain in the butt, right? And yep. it adds up in their head. They're like, ah, right. <laughs> it really is a pain in the butt. And we probably should find somebody who gets it. Yeah. And that's, it, it's almost like you have to be like a forensic psychologist or something, or maybe just a regular yeah. psychologist, like really <laughs> deeply understand. We call it empathy, I guess, which I think often people misunderstand is just like feeling sorry for people, but that's not it at all. It's literally putting yourself in the place of another person to mm -hmm. try to wrap your head around how do they think? What are they feeling? Like if you were them, which is really hard to do you know, when you think about it, it. Yeah, it is hard to do. And, and I mean, hey, talking to your ideal customer profile and really understanding is, is not a new concept in marketing, right? Like everybody yeah. knows you're supposed to go out and talk to your, your prospects and your clients and build your yeah. marketing programs around that. But I think some companies are better at doing that than others, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like on LinkedIn, I think I see that advice more or less every single time I log into LinkedIn, you know, like, <laughs> here's something you might want to do. Talk to your customers, learn about them. And I'm always like, 
yeah, isn't that the most basic thing? And yeah, <laughs> right. you're like mind blown. Hand, <laughs> right. But, the, but yet on the other hand, it's also, I think, clear that the reason it gets repeated is like a lot of companies still don't really do that, you know, yeah. or especially if you're not a large company with like a market research team. Let's say you're mm -hmm. a solopreneur, just a small company. And you don't have the time or the resources to do a huge amount of market research. You're just busy enough taking care of the customers you have. But still, if you don't do that, unless you are in somehow you're in like a super blue ocean, right? And you're like one of the few vendors. It's hard to imagine what that even is exactly, unless like you've invented a brand new technology. <laughs> but even so, before long, it's, you're never, it's never going to remain totally a blue ocean. Like you just need to find ways to do that one way or the other. And right. yeah. So, okay. I feel like we've just kind of scratched the surface of this, but we've already had a pretty totally. rich discussion and we might need to do like a part two at some point if you're up for it. So for now, yeah, absolutely. For now, how can people connect with you? So if you're learning more about how to create a catalyst for growth through demand generation, I would say check out Growth Mode Marketing's podcast. It's called The Demand Gen Fix. You can find it basically anywhere you find podcasts, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc. You can also follow me, Deanna Shimoda, on LinkedIn. I regularly post insights and best practices on demand generation. And of course, we have information on our website too, which is growthmodemarketing.com. Okay. Excellent. Well, Deanna, thank you. This is, it's a great topic. Like you said, it's like a well-known topic in marketing, but it, it, there's just so much more that, it, that we can all kind of learn about it and, and get yep. different opinions on. So thanks for sharing yours and your point of view and really enjoyed this discussion. Yeah. Thank you. It was great to be on the show. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.